Thank you for listening to this chapel message, originally presented at Clark Summit University in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. With more than 70 on-campus and online programs, Clark Summit University prepares Christ-centered, career-ready graduates to make a difference around the world. We hope this is an encouragement to you today. After you've been in a local church for a while, you have these seasonal messages, right? Christmas messages, right? And uh, after you've done it for a few times, there's not too much more that you can say about it except what was said before. That's not entirely a bad thing. Uh, So when I was thinking about this, I realized that one of the common themes that runs through all of the um, passages we deal with Christmas, and also it's one of the common themes that you and I have to face in our lives, is the theme of disruption. Disruption. Um, And where we're heading today, small letters at the bottom, is that God disrupts my life to give me a better one. I don't like disruption. None of us do, okay? We don't like it. But it seems to be what God does. Now, about 30 years ago, in the business books, they started coming out talking about disruption. You know, a radical change in an industry, business strategy, etc., especially involving the introduction of a new product or service that creates a new market. For instance, globalization, the rapid advance of technology. They're major causes of business disruption. You know, when people went from horses and buggies to wagons, no big deal. You still need buggy whips. But when the first couple of cars came out, they were a luxury. You still needed buggy whips. When Henry Ford figured out how to do mass production, and all of a sudden there were lots of cars at a low price everywhere, you don't need buggy whips anymore. And the whole industry was disrupted like that. And our lives are full of that. So the last 30 years, the business book's been talking about this. It's been going on forever. And in about the last 10 years, uh, education's been talking about it. Higher has been talking about it. And since I'm on my way down to the Middle States Conference later this week and going to our Association for Biblical Higher Ed in February, there's already seminars there where we've got to consider disruption. And I want to look at some of these Christmas accounts for what God did that was totally unplanned from the view of people like you and me who then had to figure out, am I going to get mad at God about this? Am I going to resist what he's doing because it doesn't fit what I'm doing? Or am I going to turn my life upside down? So the idea that a radical change changes everything. So I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1 with me. Now, the slide says Luke chapter 2. That's my fault. Luke chapter 1 verse 26 is where I want to land again. we hear it again this morning. The scripture says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Okay, the sixth month of what? This was the sixth month of Mary's cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy. And you may know that Elizabeth and her husband, Zacharias, have been unable to have kids. They've been praying about it diligently, and Zechariah was a priest, and he was in the temple, and an angel showed up to say, I'm about to answer your prayer. And Zechariah's response got him in trouble. I've been praying for a long, long time. And we're like this, aren't we? We pray about something for a long time, then God answers our prayer, and we're like, oh, wasn't expecting that. And so what's happened with Zechariah was he said, 
uh, I want some proof. And God said, okay. You won't be able to talk for nine months. How about that? So it had been six months since her cousin's husband had been able to talk. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee, up north around the Sea of Galilee, a city named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Virgin's name was Mary. You know the story, right? He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I don't blame her. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. A betrothed woman has plenty of plans, and she sees her life rolling out in front of her in a pretty predictable way. I mean, back in that day and age when she married her betrothed, Joseph, They would likely move into an extension built on Joseph's family home, and she would be in there, and there would be kids, and, you know, it'd be fun life in Nazareth. And all of a sudden, everything's going to change. Unlike Zechariah, she didn't have a prayer request that was seemingly on hold. This is a little surprise. And she was troubled at his appearing, you would be, in, in the Old Testament, angels didn't show up every day for coffee. I mean, every now and then they showed up, and they were terrifying when they showed up. I mean, even if you just, if, if you take the ones Ezekiel talks about, if you want to take those as angels, and I'm not willing to wrestle you about that, but if they were, I mean, you got six wings, and they fly, and they've got more than one face. Hi there, how are you, right? So, She wouldn't fear, don't fear, verse 30, for you have found favor with God. Oh, cool. How's the favor come? You will conceive in your womb. That's God's favor. You will bear a son. That's God's favor. You should call him Jesus. And you know, right, that, that was just, that's the Greek version of a very common Hebrew name, Joshua. I mean, a lot of kids are named Joshua. You shall call him Jesus. But now, in contrast to her humble estate, he will be great. And he'll be called the Son of the Most High. I mean, this. The phrase first turns up in Genesis. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And more than that, the Lord God, that's an Old Testament combination, right? The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Okay, now we're back in 2 Samuel. Because David is going to have a throne that lasted forever. Give him the throne of his father David, and he, Mary, your son, this Jesus, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow. 
she wasn't faithless. She was confused. She was confused. Her first recorded words, we know what her feeling was, she was afraid. But her first words are down here in verse 34. How can this be? Not, give me some proof, like Zechariah. But how can this be? I mean, she was celibate. She and her betrothed weren't having sex. How can this be? Well, the answer came to her, verse 35. Think about the book of Judges, Samuel, Kings. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's what happened to people who God was empowering to do something great for his people and for his kingdom. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and therefore the child, most I will overshadow you, the child be born will be called holy, the son of God. He's not the son of Joseph. He's the son of God. And her response was, Okay. Well, not quite. Verse 38, not quite okay. It was, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And there went the angel. When God disrupts our lives, God disrupts our lives to give us a better one. And for Mary, it was going to be trusting submission. I mean, you don't have to be real sharp to spin through what all the problems were that she was going to face in the next few months. But from her perspective, it was, I serve God. That's my job. That's what I'll do. So she becomes pregnant. And someplace across town is a guy named Joseph. Back to Matthew chapter 1, please. Down around verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's stop there for a second. We got a guy here who is not a whole lot different than any one of you other guys who's here this morning. Except that your betrothed has not shown up to say, I am pregnant and God is the father. Okay, the first thing does happen. The second thing does not. I am pregnant and God is the father. We don't know much about Mary, but we know less about Joseph. I mean, later on, one of the Gospels talks about him as, as probably a carpenter. He was at least a construction worker. But we know here that he was, verse 19, her husband Joseph being a righteous man, a just man. Now, that's a good Bible word. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David. Just people, righteous people, imputed to them by faith. People who trusted in God for their righteousness instead of trying to 
trump some up on their own. And he was a thoughtful man. Verse 20. As he considered these things, what? Well, he was unwilling to put her to shame, verse 19. He was resolving to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for what she says is true. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins, because that's what Joshua means. Hmm. Option one. The law did allow a public execution for something like this, but it doesn't seem like they used it very much. Some kind of public disgrace would be option two. Option three, send her back home. He wasn't considering option four. He wasn't considering option number four, where he would have to face the fact that nobody was going to believe the story. Everybody was going to believe that either his betrothed, you know, back then they looked on that not like our engagements, but, you know, they, have you, did you catch the word husband and wife in here? They looked upon these people as, as husband and wife, even though they had never been together and they hadn't had the ceremony yet. Sometimes lasted for years, sort of a proof of, of your willingness to, to stay pure. As far as most people were concerned, his wife had stepped out on him. Unless, of course, he wanted to take the blame and admit that he got her pregnant. Looks like a lose-lose situation. Unless he's willing to trade off his dignity, unless he's willing to trade off his righteousness, and then the angel shows up. Old Testament, right? Like I said, angels don't drop by for little stuff. And the angel came, he called him the son of David. Now we can figure out from the genealogies who Joseph's physical father was. But that wasn't the point here. He was called the son of David. Fulfillment of God's promises. Given this marriage the importance it deserves. He was not just a carpenter. He was not just betrothed to an apparently unfaithful woman. He was not just an embarrassed, righteous man. He was the son of David. So take Mary as your wife. Because indeed, what's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to Jesus. See, God has his reasons here for what he's doing. And Joseph was going to be faithful to God's designs. Faithful man, godly character. And he called his name Jesus. Would have been handy on the day when Gabriel was across town talking to Mary about this if he would have just taken a quick side trip to talk to Joseph. Hey, listen, you got a minute to put your hammer down. I got to tell you something you're not going to believe. I just was talking to your betrothed, told her she's going to become pregnant even though you never had sex, and she's going to have the Son of God. Just wanted to let you know that so when she comes to you, you won't think she's lying to you. Would have been nice if Gabriel had done that, but he didn't. 
doesn't do it for you and me either. He leaves us to wrestle. Okay, we're not going to do the execution thing, and we're not going to do the public shaming thing, and I guess I'll send her back home. And you wrestle with the word, and you find out what God's plans are until you say, okay. And he knew when he agreed to follow God. He knew the impact it was going to take on his reputation, his character. There were other children later, but everybody knew the story they would make up about the first one. It's disruption. And he wasn't anybody special any more than she was somebody special. They weren't high-profile people. They were just people who, when God spoke, they listened. And when God directed, they said yes. Back to Luke chapter 2. Picking up around verse 8, just past the usual section we read. Disruption, and this has happened to me more than once. When God scares you to death. I don't know how many of you guys have ever worked third shift. I've worked third shift a couple times, working my way through school. And uh, third shift is a challenging shift, especially if what their job was, was taking care of sheep who mostly spend third shift sleeping. You get down to verse 8. And we don't even know who they are. In the same region, there were shepherds. What were their names? We don't know. Shepherds out in the field, keeping watch of the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, and I would have been too. First thing you wonder, are you having a nightmare? What, what's going on here? Angels not identified. And why, why shepherds? I mean, they were poor folks back then. Why shepherds? Don't know. And the announcement the shepherds make sounds something like what was said to, to Mary. Verse 10, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, which was ordinary, that's how you wrapped to get up, and lying in a manger, a feeding trough, not ordinary. So, and as if they weren't surprised enough already, now a multitude of the heavenly army shows up. And in addition to whatever capacity they have in being able to take care of God's enemies, they also sing. And all of a sudden they appear in addition to this one angel who was talking, and they start singing praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. And then they went away. God didn't tell these guys, go to Bethlehem. He just said, I've got some good news. They figured it out from there. You know, talk to whoever the head sheep was, say, listen, keep, you know, keep a handle here, make sure you watch over your brothers and sisters. We'll be back in a little while. And they took off for Bethlehem. Let's go over to Bethlehem, see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them. You would have thought the angels could have showed up down in Bethlehem, back in that stable, at the manger, 
<laughs> There's something really great going on here. Look at this. They didn't. They let some pretty typical third shift workers know about this and let them figure out what to do with it. Because what happened was their life changed forever. Now, Bethlehem, you know the story. There's going to be wise men coming from the east before too long, and the family of Joseph is going to be out of here, and they're going to go down to Egypt. They're going to leave Egypt later on and go back up to Nazareth. So they aren't going to be around here for very long. And here's the shepherds. Here's the shepherds who told, verse 17, everything concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told to them. Imagine the rest of these guys' lives. It was, hey guys, remember what happened 10 years ago tonight? And there they were, rehearsing that, even though Joseph and family were long gone. Disruption, fear, truth, everything changes. Their spirituality is different. One last thing, Philippians chapter 2, please. disruption. When God models the disruption that he expects from me, Philippians chapter 2, and down there in verse 5, Paul tells the Thessalonians who were struggling a bit, have this mind, think this way, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, which is also in Christ Jesus. What mind? Who Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name, the reputation that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory the Father. Willingness to let go of one form and add another one to it. Totally divine, totally human. Willingness to become what another absolutely needs. Willingness to sacrifice whatever is necessary to accomplish God's work in somebody else. Have this mind in you, Paul says, which was also in Jesus. Paul says, I want you to take whatever your plans are and sub this in instead. Sacrificial service. Have this mind. When God disrupts our lives, and he does it all the time, 
He does it not to make life miserable for us, not as some kind of judgment on us, not just to change our plans, but to make it better. When he disrupts our lives, he wants to give us a better life. You perhaps have prayed along the way that God would change you, and he will. And this is how he does it. Plan A becomes plan B, and plan B becomes plan C, and plan C becomes plan D all the way through the alphabet until we're looking for another one. God doesn't order the universe around my plans, and certainly not around my comfort. And he won't do that for you either. And what you and I have to figure out is, well, what does he say? And therefore, what should I do? Because even though I can't quite see it now, the disruption he brings to my life is only designed to make me more like Jesus and to give me a better life that I would not likely have chosen if he hadn't put me in a position where I needed to say yes to him. Pray with me, please. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us, and I would ask you for a greater appreciation of those sort of things. I would ask you to make me and make our students, our faculty and staff uh, more willing, more open, quicker to say yes to you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to know you in difficult times. Thank you for the opportunity to love you publicly in a culture that does not like you at all and they're not impressed with you. And so we pray for strength from you uh, to take you at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Clark Summit University's Chapel Series. Visit www.clarksummitu.edu to learn more about CSU. Become a Christ-centered, career-ready graduate through on-campus and online degree programs. Look for us on social media at Clark Summit U and share your feedback.